Thank you, Becca. I love this set, by the way. Isn't it good? Although I was thinking it does need one thing. I, I brought my own trash. I'm just going to... There we go. No. Um, so good to be here. I have spoken in the traditional church, the traditions right next here a couple times, and I had an opportunity to speak at family camp, and I recognize many, Kristen and Mark, you were doing PowerPoint, and Greg and Lori, and uh, Grandma, of course, came up. So I've never had a chance to speak in the contemporary service, though, so this is a great great pleasure. And you're right, Jamie, if you're squinting your eyes saying, is he the fatter, shorter, more haired version of Jamie. Uh, Jamie is up at Paso Robles. He's a pastor of Highlands Church, where he started this church with me many years ago, and he's now the senior pastor. I think we have a picture of Jamie leading his first staff meeting there. Do we have it? Let's just check it out. There it is, I think. It's, uh, it's going pretty well. But, um, but no, actually, Jamie, Jamie is what I call him. He is doing great. I wanted to share with you just a picture of the volunteers that he got together for Easter. So they had Easter at the Mid-State Fair, and you may know that like uh, Garth Brooks and like Slayer are playing at the Mid-State Fair, but Jamie had it Easter. And so this is his volunteer group, 176 people, and you can see Jamie there. And he learned how to do that here. So this is a church that birthed Jamie and his ministry, and uh, it's a great, great church. Uh, again, I'm grateful to be here uh, this Sunday. In two weeks, I'll be over across the way, and I'm going to speak about retirement and what happens when we try to do something in life that doesn't happen. So I'll see some of you again in a couple of weeks. Today, I want to offer a message on the most popular text in the entire Bible, the most famous text. How many people have memorized the 23rd Psalm growing up? basically everybody here. And how many people maybe had the 23rd Psalm at your wedding? Did anyone have it at your wedding? Nobody? Uh, Some people have the 23rd Psalm at their funerals. I was at a funeral just the other day on Friday over in Pasadena, and the 23rd Psalm was recited. So I have preached this text over a hundred times. And like you, I have a tendency to sort of yawn through it. But I have made a discovery about this text that has changed my whole view of it and my whole view in the sense of the gospel. So I want to share that with you today. And I also hope that as you are driving the 210 to the 118 to the 118 to the 101, that as you think about this text this next week, that you will have more meaning in your life about it. So that's my goal for the morning. But let's, let's begin in prayer and then let's see what God wants to do with our hearts. God, thank you so much for this day. Lord, none of us take these days for granted. We, each of us only have so many of them, and you have given us this day, the end of the month of July already in the year 2017. Lord, I ask that as I speak these well-trodden words and this text that all of us knows, that you would, by some miracle, use my words, that you would speak through them, that they wouldn't be Graham's words but they would be Holy Spirit words for our hearts. So this is our prayer, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. So my wife, Star, and I have three kids. We have a 10-year-old, about to be 30, in her own mind. We have a brand new baby, so I I can commiserate with you all who have those. And we have a five-year-old named Sheena. And um, Sheena loves that I serve in Goleta, which is the home of Katy Perry. 
And uh, she went to high school, Katy Perry did, and her dad is also a pastor. And so she reminds me of that all the time because she wants to be, I think we have a picture of Sheena. She wants to be a pop star when she grows up and she means it. She wants to be a pop star. By the way, I did not know that Alison Krauss was singing this morning. Isn't Jenny Jones amazing? Get her autograph afterwards. She's great. So uh, Sheena is a little precocious and um, she asked me the other day for a cup of water. And, you know, I was happy to do so, so I went and got her some water and then and brought it to her. And then um, she said, well, Daddy, um, could I have some ice with that? So, you know, I try to be a good dad, so I went, but the ice, ice machine is broken in our house. And so I went back and I said, the, the, the ice uh, machine's broken. And she said, um, well, maybe a little lemon in that. And uh, so, again, she's the future Katy Perry, so I'm going to do my best to treat her like that before she becomes that. And so I went and looked, and I couldn't find any lemon. I came back. There's no lemon, and there's, there's no ice. And um, I'll never forget what she said. She said, Daddy, it's always something. <laughs> I can't. And um, I've been thinking about that. It is always something. If it isn't the North Koreans trying to shoot off weapons that reach California, it's three people who die on a freeway on 101 near Ventura. If it isn't our jobs that aren't perfect or not working that well, it's our marriages that are somehow as one goes better, the other has difficulty. If it isn't our kids, it's our grandkids. It's, it's always something. And uh, that's why the first line of this, this psalm is so important. Now, we're going to take apart the psalm, uh, but we should remember that as we heard Jenny sing it just now, it is a beautiful poem. It's a beautiful song that David writes a thousand years before Jesus is born, and it's even as beautiful in Hebrew. Um, are there any Hebrew scholars here today? Good, so I'm going to read you some Hebrew. Um, <laughs> I always got to check this close to four, but I just, I just love this. Adonai ro'yi luch eschar ben ot deshe rabbanitzin. You can hear the music of it. And there's a beautiful, beautiful cadence to it. And as you say it, you can almost hear the, the ocean water lapping on the shore. The Lord is my shepherd. Shh, I shall not want. Shh, he makes me lie down in green pastures. It's beautiful in that sense, and it's beautiful in so many others. But the first line is so important. The first line is, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. A better translation here is, I shall not lack. It means that our lives are only complete when the shepherd is in our lives, because it's always something. It will always be something. My grandma is here today. I think, Grandma, are you the oldest member of San Marino Community Church, 97 and a half? I think they give you a Tiffany clock on your 98th birthday here. I'm not sure, but I hope she doesn't mind me talking about this, but Grandma, she's such a saint, and uh, you know, she's, she's been battling... Um, breast cancer for some time. And, uh, you know, she was very upset because she went to the hospital and wanted to just, you know, have a big surgery and move on. And they said, well, you know, you're of of an age where we just don't do that. But we're going to give you some medication and see if that works. And so they gave her some medication. And, you know, miraculously, it worked. Uh, Like the breast cancer disappeared. It's a miracle of God. But then she found some cancer on her neck. It's always something. It's always something. And so that first line, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not lack, means that our lives are only complete when the shepherd is in our lives. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. I love that Jesus compares us to sheep because they are, without question, the dumbest animals 
in the farm. They are dumb. Any farmers in the room today? Uh, Grandma, you grew up on a farm. Sheep, uh, cows are smart. Uh, pigs are super smart. Sheep are dumb, dumb, dumb. They don't, they don't know what to eat. They don't know where to go. And Jesus calls us sheep. This uh, older couple were um, out. Uh, they were driving. And uh, I love it when older couples uh, argue because they can like argue and go from like first to fifth and back to first again in two seconds. But they get into this big argument and they pass this farm and the husband says to the wife, so um, are all those animals your relatives? <laughs> and she said, yeah, they're my in-laws. Um, so sheep are dumb and they're so dumb they don't even know when to rest. And so I've talked to some shepherds in preparation for this message. And so a good shepherd actually has to put the, the head of the sheep down. After a long day, a hundred mile walk, the sheep actually doesn't know enough to like slow down. They just keep going. They'll just move. And, and the shepherd has to literally put the sheep's head down. Fluffy, down, <laughs> down. Now you stay down. And, and Fluffy will try to get up, but the, the shepherd puts the head sheep down. And I don't know about you, but I relate to that. You know, I'll come home from a long, a long day, and then uh, I might be working on my dissertation for a little while or, or, or something else that I'm working on. I, I need someone to say, Graham, down, head down, now. The Lord is our shepherd. We will lack nothing. He makes us to lie down in green pastures. He leads us beside still waters. He restores our soul. Now, I serve in Santa Barbara, and I know San Marino is way different from Santa Barbara, but Santa Barbara is a very relaxed city. Um, People come to work at like 11 o'clock and leave at like 2, and they consider it a long day of work. I know you all are different down here. You work early, but it's not just that, but they're consumed by this notion of like soul restoration, it is the number one thing people care about in, in Santa Barbara. And so you see like um, meditative centers and yoga classes. And I mean, it is, it is you cannot spit and not hit a, a meditative soul restoration uh, part of Santa Barbara. And in fact, I'm, I'm working on my dissertation at this little, little seminary right next to us. I forget the name of it. Um, yeah, Fuller. And I'm working on this dissertation on new age ideologies and how Christians can connect with Buddhists. And what I'm learning is that Buddhism is great for cleansing our souls, meditation. It's, it's the great, the goal is no self, to have no self. The problem is that it doesn't ever have anything filling it, that nothing ever fills that space. Jesus Christ is the only one who can really restore our souls. On the way down from Oxnard, where we have a house this morning, I'll listen to some music, some great, great calming music from one of my favorite artists. But you know, it didn't really restore my soul. It just kind of cleansed it for a while. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not lack. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He, he leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. I love, that, I love that David writes paths here. Because, you know, I can handle one path. I, I'm pretty good with one path. If I just have one path, I got it. It's the paths that I struggle with. Jenny, I love that you grew up in Montana. I suspect you went backpacking a bit. When, I grew up in Idaho, and we would do backpacking all the time. And uh, 
And I'll never forget this backpacking trip that we took when I was, when I was eight and my sister was seven. So we started early. And so we were up in the Sawtooth Mountains. And my sister, being seven, and I don't know if you have any kids in your family like this, but my sister did not want to be in this backpack trip. She, she hated it. She, she was complaining the whole way up. She did not want to be there. She could not wait to get home. It was just one complaint after the other. And so one day, my dad said, why don't you start out, Tila? You get a head start and we'll come behind you. So Tila must have found like her inner like backpacking self at that moment because she went, she had been like hobbling up the trail, but she literally raced up the trail from that moment. She, she barreled down the trail. I mean, little, little did my dad know that there was a fork in, in the trail about a hundred yards out of the camp and Tila took the wrong trail. So I'll never forget when uh, I was eight or so, my dad said, well, I'm going to go get your sister. She's down the wrong trail and I'm going to leave you the backpack. And there's about a, there's about a week of food here. Um, so you should be fine. But if I don't come back, you know, you, you can, I've, I've been fine with a lot of therapy basically. But <laughs> so he, he went down the trail and six miles later, there he finds Tila waiting for him by the side of the trail. And it didn't help her that she then had to come back and then go on the right trail. But, you know, that's how our lives are. It's always another path. It's why it's so important to come to church every week, to do a Bible study as much as you can, because one path anyone can handle. It's the paths. You know, I mean, I'm a parent. I can already tell we, we have elementary kids that are, that are on their way to like junior high, and I, I'm, I'm pretty good at elementary parenting. I feel like I've got it kind of down, except that we have an infant now, and that's a different kind of parenting. But you know what? It's going to change gears. High school, any parents here? The parenting changes from elementary to high school and then from high school to college, and it's so many paths. I know people who spent their whole lives professionally. They were at the top of their career. They were CEOs of big companies, but now they're retired. What are you supposed to do in retirement? It's a different path. So God leads us in paths of righteousness because the sheep are too dumb to figure out the path. He leads us in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. That's the first part of the song. The second part is a little darker. And it's a little more shadowy. It begins this way. Even though we will walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Now notice here, David doesn't say if. It's not conditional, it's declarative. You could put it in, you could put in the words, granted that you will walk through the valley of the shadow of death. It will be that you will walk through the valley of the shadow which, you know, I, I appreciate that God tells us that we will have valleys. Because I can handle anything as long as I know what's coming. We just moved from Colorado Springs, where we lived for about three years. And uh, we bought a house in Colorado Springs. And as soon as we left Colorado Springs, the biggest hailstorm ever to hit that city annihilated all of downtown. And we had a house in downtown Colorado Springs. And I just love it when you buy a house and then leave that city and then find out that the house that you bought may not be in perfect condition. So we asked this guy to take care of our house. And uh, 
I called them up after the hailstorm. I mean, like Lexus dealerships, like were pocked, you know, like they had to throw away cars. And uh, I said, well, how's the house? And he said, it's, um, it's pretty bad. Well, how bad? It's real bad. Well, just tell me, just tell me, tell me what it is. Well, he said, the, the roof needs to be replaced and you need to like put in new doors and new walls. But other than that, it's going to be fine. <laughs> you know, weirdly, I felt better after I found out what it was. Because if you know what's coming, you can handle anything. And God is telling us we will walk through valleys. We will have shadows. And maybe you're in them right now. But they're temporary. Even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we will fear no evil. Why? Because the shadows and the valleys are not that dark? No, they're dark. We will fear them because, what? You know it. Thou art with us. With is one of the most important words in the Bible. It's one of my favorite words. It occurs over a thousand times. Um, let me just refresh your memory, the words with. Um, so, so Jacob has run away from his father and his, his mother, and he's stolen the inheritance, and he's out in the middle of the desert, and he puts his head on a rock, and, and God says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bless you, even though I don't like you very much right now. And then what he says, I will be with you. And then not too long after that, this guy named Moses is up on a mountain, and, and God says to Moses, I want you to get the Israelites and bring them out of slavery. And, and, and Moses says, what are you going to do to help me? And, and God says, I will be with you, which Moses may not have felt that was that encouraging. And not too long thereafter, Joshua crosses over into the promised land, and then there's this river, and then he goes into the promised land, and God says, be a courageous young Joshua, I will be and not to leave the picture, not too long thereafter, a baby is born in a manger. And God says his name will be with you. And when Jesus ascends into heaven, the last thing he says to the disciples is, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, for I will be... It's the most encouragement God can give us that he will be with us. The shepherd will be with the sheep. Though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you will fear no evil, for I am with you. My rod and my staff, they will be comforted, comforting to you. One of my favorite, I see a lot of kids here, one of my favorite stories growing up is the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Have you guys read it? There's a few weeks left this summer if you haven't. It's such a good book. The great, the great book by C.S. Lewis, but I love that section where Father Christmas gives Lucy and Peter and Susan the gifts for the journey, and, you know, he gives Peter a sword, and he gives, you know, Lucy this potion, and he gives, he gives Susan this bow and arrow, and the, the rod and the staff are gifts for us for this journey. Now, I've done some research, and, and the rod for a shepherd was a, a knot from a tree that had a handle on it, usually an oak tree, and it literally could be like thrown at like a bear or a cougar or a lion. It was a, it was a club. And the staff, we often think of the staff as like this. We have a picture of a shepherd with Jesus, I think, with a staff. We usually think of like a staff as this, you know, nice, beautiful, kind of like pristine thing, like little Bo Peep. But 
A staff, a staff is a weapon that takes out snakes and, and bears. It's like a spear. Now, I love that God says, my rod and my staff will comfort you, which means we're not the ones who carry the weapons, which I'm so glad about, you know, because I am so bad at vengeance and stuff like that. Are you? I'm so bad at, at getting back at people. I'm so, it's probably good that I'm a pastor in that way, but I'm so bad. My, my, my wife is pretty good, but that's another sermon, but no. <laughs> I'm terrible. I'm terrible at like comebacks. Like I'm terrible at when, you know, having a, having a funny little response, but you know, we don't have to worry because God is the one who has those weapons. And maybe you're at work right now. Maybe there's just somebody who's driving you crazy and you just don't know what to do. They're trying to get you fired every day. You go to work and meet the one who has my rod and my staff and they come for me. Now, here's the part I want to share with you. The part which opened my eyes to this text and that has changed my understanding of it forever. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Now, I never understood this. It has been one of those, I've preached this a hundred times, but every time I preach it, I do the rod and the staff part, and then I skip over the next, and you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, and then I move on to the next bit. But I'm going to tell you what I've learned about this. The seminary that I went to, said that the table was like, you know, a feminist image for God. You know, that in the first century, that women were the ones who prepared tables for people. And so that Jesus is, uh, this is a feminist image for God. And I'm fine with that, except that's not what this is. (coughs) And then I've heard that the table is the communion table. And so when Jesus prepares the table on the third, on the uh, Thursday night, he prepares a table before his, them in the presence of the enemy Judas. But that, that doesn't make sense. This is what I've learned. For a shepherd, a table is a plateau, a field, a mesa. It isn't like a dinner table. And again, the sheep are so dumb that the shepherd needs to go to the field a long time ahead of time and take out all the rocks and all, the, all of the uh, poisonous plants and prepare the table for the sheep. And it can take months to prepare this big oasis. But you know what hangs out around the edges of, of these, these tables, these mesas? Cougars and bears and, and lions and enemies of the sheep. So Jesus is saying, I will prepare a mesa for you in the presence of your enemies. And then this text came to me. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. And I lay down my life for the sheep. So the shepherd goes out and prepares the table and lays down his life for the sheep. And that's what Jesus did on that Thursday night when he went to that table and he said, this is my body which I break for the remission of your sins. Take and eat. And what Jesus meant when he said that this is my blood, take and drink ye all of it. And the shepherd took the place of the sheep. And on that Friday night, he, he hung, he died. And again, that's, 
this image that we hear again and again and again that God dies for us, that God died for us. But I was driving down this morning thinking about this message, and it just is something I can never wrap my mind around, that the shepherd has laid down his life for me, that he will die for me again, again. So that's the central theme of the entire text. And the last bit of it is just the promises. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. I love that video, Shirley. I'll never forget Shirley. I've always thought of those two. Those two, goodness and mercy, are angels. It doesn't say that in any commentary, but I've always thought that they were. So the shepherd's before me. I'm the dumb sheep, and there are these two angels behind me, goodness and mercy, and they'd follow. Come on, goodness, mercy, let's go all the days of my life. And I will dwell in God's house, which is God's promise for all of us, forever. So I just want to leave with you two more thoughts. We could leave the text there, but I want to leave two more thoughts. The first is that the shepherd speaks the language of the sheep. Now, I'm lucky that I have a shepherd in my own family. My mother is Scottish, and so growing up, um, whenever Scotland would call my mom, uh, we grew up in Boise, Idaho, but whenever mom picked up the phone, we knew it was someone from Scotland because she'd be like, oh, that's right, Jimmy, okay, yeah, we're doing fine here in Boise, okay, bye. But she'd hang up the phone, she'd be like, okay, take out those groceries, you know? Um, but we had this uncle named Willie McLeod, a Scottish shepherd, a real-life shepherd. I got to meet him a couple of times, Willie. And the thing about Willie was he became blind at the end of his life. And so we would send him letters from America, from Boise, but he couldn't read them. So he took the letters down to the local pub, and there he would have them read aloud, and he'd say, I have a letter from America, and oh, I, let's read it. Dear Willie, I hope things are well there in Scotland. They're doing great here in America. And some old guy at the back would be like, what did he say? He said, they're doing great there in America. Anyway, he had to be there. It helps to have the pint of Guinness, maybe. But <laughs> Willie would direct his sheep with sheepdogs, border collies. And to watch Willie work those collies and those sheep, they could be two miles away. And Willie would whistle, and two miles away, those sheep would move all the, to the right. I think we have a picture of a border collie. And then two miles away, he would whistle three times. And he would move the sheep. It was such a beautiful thing to see. Now, he had one border collie named Angus who uh, didn't do anything he asked him to do. He would yell at Angus, but Angus would just sit there. He would throw things at Angus and nothing would happen. He would, he, would, he would whistle at Angus. Angus did nothing. Then one day, in, in total frustration, he yelled at Angus, la-di-dam, la-kin-ya, which in Gaelic, I think, does anybody speak Gaelic here? Okay, good. In Gaelic, it means get going, dog. And that dog took off in the opposite direction. And he said it again, la-di-dam, la-kin-ya. And that border collie came back. And so what he figured is that all of his other dogs were understanding whistling and English, but that dog spoke Gaelic. <laughs> and I tell you that 
because God speaks your language too. Maybe you're a Caltech professor and uh, you speak math. You speak it very well. You can speak math better than anyone in the world. And you are frustrated at some level that you, you never have anyone else who can speak your language. But God can. He can speak math. Or maybe like Jenny and Brandon, you're a musician. And honestly, you kind of wait for the message to end until, until you can get to the music and, and God really speaks to you. As Augustine said, God, God speaks twice in music. Or maybe your language is something else. Maybe it's VBS. Maybe it's kids. And you know what's interesting? Maybe your language is not church. A lot of the greatest people in the history of the church did not like church. Um, C.S. Lewis was one of them. I just have to read this. This is great. He wrote this. I like clergymen, he says, about as much as I like bears. (laughs) I had as little wish to be in church, said C.S. Lewis, as in the zoo, It was to begin with a kind of collective, wearisome, get-together affair. I couldn't yet see how a concern of that short should have anything to do with my spiritual life. To me, religion ought to be a matter of good people praying alone and meeting in twos and threes to talk spiritual matters. And then all this fussy, time-wasting botheration, the bells, the crowds, the umbrellas, the notices, the bustle, the preparation, the arranging, the organizing. And he says, hymns? Hymns were and are extremely disagreeable to me. (laughs) Don't tell the traditional group. Of all the musical instruments, writes C.S. Lewis, that I like and liked the least, the organ is the biggest of them. I like the organ not. (laughs) Now, I don't know if you've heard of Lewis, but he changed the world. And do you know why? Because he spoke a language that God spoke. And it was on a walk in, in Oxford when he was with a guy named J.R. Tolkien and Hugo Dyson. And they were out one evening and he said, you know, guys, it's kind of weird, but I got, I got these stories and I've never really written them down, but it involves a, a lamppost and a fawn. God spoke C.S. Lewis language and God can speak yours. And the last thing, again, as you're driving this week, as you're picking up kids, as you're going on vacation again, or whatever you're doing, and you're thinking about this text, remember that the key is the relationship with the shepherd. It's about our personal relationship as sheep with the shepherd. So I'll close on this. In the 19th century, true story, there was this this great Shakespearean actor like Kenneth Branagh, who brought the house down every night. And he would give, you know, Henry V, for this day shall a good man teach his son, and crisp and crispy and will ne'er go by from this day to the end of the world. And people loved it. And then he would always close his message with the 23rd Psalm. But he'd give it in Royal Shakespearean, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And people would just be... But then one day a little boy got up and said, can I give the psalm for you? And he did, and he stood up there like that little girl in the video, and he said, Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Makes me lie down in green pastures, leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness. Surely, 
for his name's sake. Even though I walk to the... Surely, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy... Surely, staff shall comfort me. Surely, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And there wasn't a dry eye in the house. And afterwards, the Shakespearean actor said to the little boy, how did you do that? And the little boy said, well, you know, you know the psalm, but I know the shepherd. Knowing the shepherd changes everything. It restores our soul. It completes our lives. It means that when we go through the valleys, we have nothing to fear, for the shepherd is with us. Amen. Thank you, God, for this day, this moment. Thank you for this song, which we've heard so many times. I pray, Lord, that as we continue to recite it the rest of our lives, that we would remember that you are the shepherd who prepared a table for us and that you died on that table and you came back to life again and lived for us. In Jesus' name, amen.